Chapter Three of the Teacup Club by Eliza Armstrong. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Three: Man's Real Attitude Towards the Progress of Woman. The Teacup Club came to order with more than its usual reluctance at its next meeting, and the president looked severe. I wish you girls would stop talking about Helena and her affairs. I detest gossip. And besides, I want to hear all about her, too, and we can talk better after the meeting is over. The topic for today's discussion will be man's real attitude toward the progress of woman. I'm glad to hear it. Men are such queer creatures that by the time a girl gets to understand them, really, she is too old to attract their attention. Now, if we all put our heads together... We may attain wisdom without its accompanying wrinkles. That is a good idea, for... It is no real gain to know how to make them bring the proper kind of flowers and confectionery if you have to spend the money thus saved on the beauty doctor. Yes, that is true. <sighs> Widowers... All men who have been engaged several times are often nice. Thank you. I like to do my own training, if it is troublesome. You can't persuade a widower that his late wife was not a type of all womanhood. And that is horrid, especially if she happens to have had a taste of domestic magazines and molasses candy. That is why a widower is so much less attractive than a widow. She has learned that men, save for a few leading traits, are all different. Yes, matrimony always widens a woman's views of the opposite sex, while it narrows those of a man. Oh dear, I do wish men would not do one thing and say another. Now they are always praising domesticity in women, as well as shrinking modestly, and yet... They always overlook the domestic kind of girl when she does venture among people. I know it, and as for shyness and modesty, it is only the girl who is bold enough to call attention to those qualities in herself who receives a social reward for them. Oh, well. A man with a couple of sisters learns a great deal about the sex. Humph! I don't know why it is, but the more sisters a man has, the slower he is to enter into matrimony. I've noticed that myself. While girls who have plenty of brothers usually marry before they are twenty. Pshaw, that's because the friends of their brothers get a chance to see them sew on buttons and make caramels. No, it isn't. It is because such a girl has more than one person to oppose the man who wants to marry her. But talk about masculine inconsistency. It sets me wild to hear men talk about domesticity and modesty and all that, and then hang about Kate, a girl who doesn't know a frying pan from a... a camera and who had as leaf ask for a thing she wants as a hint for it. So unfeminine. I know it. Why, she never has to buy a flower. And as for candy, she has so much that she actually shares it with the other girls. I go to see her more frequently in Lent, because my conscience will not allow me to buy any then, and... And Kate has been engaged six times. She told me so herself. I declare it is enough to make a girl... Hmm. Don't forget, my dears, that while she has been engaged six times, she has not been married once. Why, er, er, that is true. You dear, delightful, clever thing. I am so glad that I just made you be our president. Oh, well, of course I like it, dear. Still, as somebody once said, 
I'd rather be right than president. Hear, hear. Yes. But, oh, girls, Tom says that all the men in our set are talking about this club. He says that Jack Bittersweet asked him confidentially the other day if being intellectual made a woman less lovable. Luckily, I had just agreed to let him have a masculine dinner party, and he assured Jack that it did not. The blue-eyed girl arose softly from her seat, and going over to where the brown-eyed blonde was sitting, kissed her. You dear thing. Come over any day you like, and you shall see the new sleeve design I got from Paris yesterday. The girl with the dimple in her chin exchanged glances with the girl with the eyeglasses. What time in the year do you prefer for a wedding? asked the latter, apropos of nothing. Oh, speaking of weddings, that reminds me. I'd have prepared a paper on today's topic, as you suggested, Evelyn, but Elizabeth asked me to help select her wedding dress, and, well, you know Elizabeth. It has taken her two days already, and I don't see any prospect of yet of her making up her mind. And yet, she required only five minutes in which to decide to accept Fred, when he asked her to marry him. I know, dear, but then, in this matter of selecting her dress, she had a choice. And I'm sure that Elizabeth's father is delighted to buy her a wedding dress. Oh, Emily, pardon me. I quite forgot that Elizabeth is your cousin. Never mind, dear. Though I rather like her, in spite of the relationship. Oh, girls, you have no idea what an effect this club is having upon me. Why, I turned my den into a library, cut all the leaves of my Carlisle, and coaxed Papa to buy me a handsome writing desk, and do up the walls in forest greens because pink and blue seemed so frivolous. Now I can sit in that room and write papers for the club in real comfort. You don't know how pleased I am to hear it. It is quite worth all the labor of selecting topics and leading the discussion, I assure you. Why, Catherine, how late you are! Don't you know that the really advanced woman is even ahead of the clock? Yes, I do, panted the girl with the classic profile. But really, I've had the most awful time getting here at all. You know I'm always in trouble, but really this is the worst that... I'll never go anywhere with Nell again, unless it's to my own funeral, and I can't help myself then. What on earth has Nell done now? Don't you know that you must not expect absolute sanity from an engaged girl? You said you were going with her to the south side to call upon some of the relatives of her affianced. Did she take you over there and then discover that she didn't know their exact address? Or did... The address was not forgotten. We hadn't meant to do any shopping today, but we stopped in to buy some thread, and really the new silks were so cheap that... You arrived an hour late and penniless, I know. Not quite. I had ten cents left when we started for home, and we had to take two lines of cars. Nell and I couldn't get seats together. In fact, we were at opposite ends of the car. However, I paid her fare and signalled the fact to her, receiving a nod in reply. Well, didn't she want to pay your fare on the other line? She... Well, the fact is that she had misunderstood the signal and paid our fare again with her own last dime. And there we were, three miles from home, without a penny in our pockets, and the streetcar company had a dime it hadn't earned. But then Nell never had a grain of sense. I should think by this time she knew that herself. 
If she doesn't, I'm sure you are not to blame, dear. However, for my part, I shall not blame you, even if you are as cross as a man who is wearing a frayed collar for the rest of the afternoon. His real attitude is that of flight. He... But don't let us interrupt the proceedings. Just tell me what today's topic is, and I... Oh, it is a perfectly delightful one. Man's real attitude toward the progress of woman and... His real attitude is that of flight. He... Don't be flippant, dear, whatever you are. We have enough of that to endure from our masculine acquaintances. It seems to me that a man laughs at whatever he fails to understand, and then feels that he has replied to the argument. Perhaps that is the reason that men laugh at so many jokes in which I can see nothing funny. No doubt of it. But girls never attempt to imitate them. I did once, and Annie, you know how obtuse she is, kept asking loudly what I was laughing at, and I couldn't tell her. When a man had just made the remark that he was glad to find a girl with a keen sense of the ridiculous, too. Just like Annie. I sometimes wonder whether she is really obtuse or only malicious. You know how devoted Tommy Bonds is to music, don't you? Well, Annie and I once accompanied him to a Thomas concert, and I wanted to make myself agreeable. I hope you didn't do it by conversing while the orchestra was playing. Of course not, Goosey. But I remembered that he always says a woman should be two things, sincere and fond of music. The soloist was a pianist. I can't even remember his name, but his hair was not at all remarkable. When he played an encore, Tommy leaned over to me and said, Isn't it charming? And I replied, Yes, I like it better every time I hear it. In fact, I often ask people to play it for me. I wish now that I hadn't said that. Why so? It seems to me just the right thing to say. But Annie leaned over, asking loudly, What is the name of it? And to my horror, Mr. Bond said he didn't know, and it was all so sudden that, to save my life, I couldn't make up a name. In the silence which followed, someone in front of us was heard remarking that the encore was a composition by the pianist himself, and now played for the first time in public. And it is all Annie's fault, too. By the way, did I ever tell you how it happened that Mr. Bonds gave up calling me a delightful conversationalist? No? Well, you see, he lived almost opposite to us, and he practised on the cello until Papa, who was very fond of De Quincey, that he no longer dared to read, murder considered as one of the fine arts. Suddenly, he stopped practising, and... Mercy on us! Had anything happened to him? gasped the President, turning pale. Nothing ever happens to people who deserve it. As it happened, however, we were no better off, for someone, a new resident of the street, we supposed, began to practice the violin seven hours a day. It may not have been a newcomer. It is a fact that one vigorous soprano is enough to demoralise a whole neighbourhood, and I suppose... The cello is quite as bad. Possibly so. At any rate, rents went down in the neighbourhood, and placards went up. One day, I happened to meet Mr Bonds, and as long as my father was not within hearing distance, I said, Oh, I'm sorry that you have given up your delightful cello. If you could have seen the rapture on his face. I'd rather have seen his face than that of your guardian angel. But go on, don't stop. I wish I'd stopped then, but I didn't. I said, By the way, who is it that scrapes the violin all day long? 
I never heard anything so awful in my life. Oh, girls, I... But I don't see anything wrong in that. He did. You see, he had given up the cello and taken to the violin with the idea of astonishing the world with his genius. And you live to tell it. Hmm. Yes. You see, everything has its compensation. When Papa heard what I had done, he gave me a hundred dollars and his blessing. What luck some people have. While others... Oh, girls, I know something perfectly lovely, but I don't know whether I ought to tell it to you or not. My conscience. Why, Francis, I shall be awfully hurt if you don't tell us now. When a girl speaks of her conscience in that way, it simply means that she distrusts her audience. You might know by this time that we never tell anything that transpires at a meeting of this club. Of course not. Why? Dick teased me vainly a whole evening to find a line of argument and advance in favour of equal suffrage when we discussed women in politics the other day. The janitor must have told him the topic under discussion. Very likely. What was it that you wished to tell us, Francis, dear? It was something that happened to Nell. Her fiancé had told her a great deal of his friend, Mr. Thinker of Boston, who is to be his best man and whom she had never seen. He appeared suddenly at Mr. Dick and Harry's office the other day, just as the latter was starting for Milwaukee, and there was barely time for him to make the arrangements with Mr. Thinker to call on Nell the following afternoon. As it happened, he knew the Van Smiths, and was asked to the luncheon they gave that day, and seated immediately opposite to Nell. Of course, he didn't catch her name when they were introduced, and there was no chance for explanations. Oh, girls, I wonder if I really ought to finish this. If you don't... I shall ask Nell why you didn't. Well, during a lull in the conversation, he leaned forward and, in loud, clear tones, asked Nell what kind of a girl his friend Tom Dickenharry had got himself engaged to this time. Hmm, <laughs> said the President, after the laughter had subsided a little. That settles one matter in advance, anyhow. It is easy to know upon whose side the victory will rest when they have their first quarrel after marriage. There is one question I would like to ask the members of this club, and it is one which nearly disrupted our little Shakespeare club. If you really want to please a man, any man, what is the best way to go about it? That is really such a simple question that there is only one answer possible. And that is? Be born rich. But suppose you have neglected that qualification. Learn to cook but never let him taste the result of your cookery. Yes, or wear his college colours. Let him do all the talking. Praise the shape of his head, no matter what it may be. I wouldn't tell anybody that. Only that two fortune-tellers and a palmist have assured me that my husband will outlive me. Mr. Bonds has a very well-shaped head. A little long, perhaps, but... The rotundity of his pocketbook overbalances that. Clarissa says he is generous, too. A rare quality in a really wealthy man. Hmm. I don't know about his generosity. A marriage license is about as inexpensive a thing as a man can buy, and yet he has displayed no desire to invest in one. Oh, pshaw, that makes no difference. Lots of girls nowadays don't intend to marry anyhow, so... I wonder why they never think to mention the fact publicly until after they are thirty. Oh, girls, shouldn't you like really to do something wonderful? 
I once wore a pair of common-sense shoes a whole month. Hmm, who was the Englishman? The one with whom you used to walk at that time, I mean. It was the spring that Mr. Penny Less was here. But I don't see what that had to do with it, said the blue-eyed girl with great dignity. Nothing at all, of course. I only... He did not meet him, I believe. He was very particular about the people to whom he was introduced. Said the girl with the dimple in her chin sweetly. I did rather an unusual thing myself once. I had five dollars in my pocketbook when my allowance came due. Yes, but you had left the pocketbook at my house ten days before and thought it was lost. Don't you remember? I only brought it over after the shops were closed the evening before. Oh, girls. I've recently met a woman who has travelled all through Asia and... I suppose she did it in bloomers and one of those horrid, unbecoming stiff caps, too. Well, all I've got to say is that a woman who has the courage to make such a guy of herself is brave enough to face all the tigers and mountain lions and, uh, boa constrictors in Asia. I don't believe there are any boa constrictors and mountain lions in Asia. As for tigers... Mercy, how literal you are. Well, buffaloes, then, how will that suit you? I'm equally afraid of all of them myself. Oh, girls... Mary and I have just had such fun. We've been telling each other the most awful things that have ever happened to us in our lives. Perhaps that is what made you late, too. Not exactly. You see, I knew there was something wrong about my watch, and I could not remember whether it was 13 minutes fast or 13 minutes slow, so... But do tell us what was the most awful thing that's ever happened to you, Evelyn. The very worst thing that ever befell me was connected with a timepiece. It was last summer... And a man who, who had been very nice to me, was going away early the next morning. Men were scarce at the seashore, as you know, and when a lot of the girls saw us sitting on the porch, they came over and spent the evening with us. We just could not get a chance for a word alone. I know, I know. Yes. Well, his train was to go at 5.16am, and he asked me in the most meaning tone if I cared sufficiently to hear something he had to say, to get up early enough to see him off. I... I said I did. Well... I set my watch by the hall clock, in order to be sure of getting up in time. Then I lay awake nearly all night so I would not oversleep myself. When I reached the station, it was five minutes past six. Watch stopped? No. Harry had run down to spend that evening with Kate, and she had set the clock back. The man was married in October to one of the girls, who had risen in time to see him off. Of course. Speaking of awful things, you all know how afraid I am of fire. We do. I believe you could smell a burning match a block away. Well, the other day our fire insurance ran out, and Tom handed me the money and asked me to go down and renew it, as he was very busy. I forgot all about it until night. Then I lay awake sniffing smoke until Tom thought I had influenza again. Next morning, I got ready to go and attend to it at once. I wanted to look nice, too, because one of the men in that office once told Tom that he had an awfully pretty wife. How much money did you borrow from Tom that time? I was curling my hair when I smelled fire. I ran wildly all through the house. 
with a curl still wrapped about the iron, trying to locate it. And did you find any? Yes. My own hair was burning. How awful! That reminds me of what once happened to me. It was when I was wearing a single curl in the middle of my forehead. One day Frank was there and he, he would twist it over his finger and quote poetry about it until he took all the curl out of it. Of course I discovered I had no handkerchief and went up to get one. I don't see anything so awful in that. No dear, but while I was curling it I dropped the hot iron down my back and dared not even scream lest he find out what I was doing. The worst thing that ever happened to me was in connection with Lewis. As soon as it was settled, I went to tell Emmeline, so she would give up trying to get him. I said I was his first love, and she couldn't imagine how jealous he was. Oh yes, dear, I can, said she. He was always so when he was engaged to me. I wondered why you broke with him. Well, we must adjourn now, and I must say that I have never heard a subject more logically discussed than the one today. End of chapter 3